Hey, this is Eric Olivares, pastor at Axios Church in Lakeland, Florida, and this is our podcast. Axios' mission is to point people to Jesus so they can find worth and purpose in God. We hope this message encourages you and uplifts you throughout your week. Enjoy the message. We're going to be going to week two of mountains. We talked about how mountains are very diverse in, the, in, the, in, in that part of the country, where in, in, in Israel. And as we read our, our Bible, we see different types of mountain structures that God used to bring these, these stories for us, for us to learn about his truth in our life. This week, we're going to be talking about Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel. See, Mount Carmel was the, the, the location of one of the most epic battles between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And, and we have to understand that this mountain was the place of this, of this battle. But, you know, the word Carmel means garden, a vineyard, a, an orchard. And it really described what this mountain really looked like. But this mountain was the location of this, this gruesome battle. This gruesome battle. Let me break it down for you. See, we see the Israelite people here in, in, in the book of 1 Kings. The Israelite people have the tendency of just doing dumb things. They just, put, they just find themselves in dumb situations. We, we, we talked about it a couple, a couple months ago of how they, when we talked about, um, what was it, water and then deserts, how the Israelite people, man, they just, they just battled with mindsets. They just battled with, with doing, wanting to do the right thing, but always doing the wrong thing. And here we see them again. The Israelite people, um, they, they, they're getting themselves into a different mindset that they should never have been in. See, a Jewish king called Ahab made a proclamation that they should be worshiping a different kind of God. And this fake God was called Baal. Baal worship was also in the Middle Eastern countries, especially Can- Canaan, and they, they, they thought that they thought that this God was a fertility God, but also they also thought that this God was the God of the Lord of rain and dew, the forms of moisture that, that prepares the soil of the land. But then God goes to Elijah and goes to this king called Ahab who just did this proclamation and said, hey, I want you to go to this king and tell this king that there will be no water hitting the ground, there will be a drought, and there will be no water in the the next three plus years. Imagine this. They just made a whole statue of a God of moisture, (laughs) a God of water, a God of rain, and here comes Elijah Coming, um, hearing from God, saying to go to Ahab and say, hey, you know that statue? Basically saying, you know that statue that you put there? It's fake. <laughs> it's fake, and I'm going to prove it. Because here's the thing sometimes. We try to put fake things in our life, but God always proves himself true. We, we can try to manufacture some things in our life, but God always shows himself 
is true. So God was was trying to get the Israelite people to recognize again that there is no other God. There's no other God but Jehovah. There's no other God but Yahweh. He's trying to recognize that there is no other God. Stop living in the fake, live in the real. But here the Israelite people, they had to learn it the hard way, the hard way. And so do we at times. So do we at times have to learn it the hard way. See, this remarkable drought lasted three years and a half as Elijah prayed. And we see here that Elijah, after he went to Ahab, he told them, hey, there's going to be no rain. And Ahab's like, we have a statue that is the rain god. (laughs) You know, so they thought, hey, we got this covered. This crazy man Elijah is telling this, but guess what? We have Baal. Baal is the moisture god. You know, that's a weird name, the moisture god, okay? Um, But they, they thought it was all taken care of. But little did they know, real quick, that rain was not gonna come down. And we see God telling Elijah to go in hiding when he told this proclamation. See, here's a side note. See, earlier, God told Elijah to hide himself when he declared this proclamation. In chapter 17 of 1 Kings, it says, A prophet named Elijah said to the king Ahab, In the name of the Lord, the living God of Israel, whom I serve, I tell you that there will be no dew nor rain the next two or three until I say so. It's, it's kind of funny how he just threw the, you know, not only rain, but dew. <laughs> you know, the dew. It ain't happening, all right? And in verse 2 it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Leave this place and go east and hide yourself near the Cherith Brook, east of the Jordan. So now in the verse 17, God tells Elijah to say the proclamation and go hide himself. But now in verse 18, he's now telling Elijah to come out of hiding and tell uh, Ahab that the rain is coming. Let's hear in, in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, After some time in the third year of the drought, the Lord, Lord said to Elijah, Go present yourself to King Ahab, and I will send the rain. See, three years to the moment of hiding from the moment of him presenting himself, there was a drought. And now uh, Elijah, who was now the person that went to said the proclamation, hey, no rain's coming, and it actually happened. Now he's like, hey, guess what, guys? Rain's coming in the middle of a drought. Three and a half years. God told him present himself. And it reminds me this, that sometimes in our life, God is telling us to hide ourselves in him. And when, he, when we hide ourselves in him, he, he, we learn more about him and we grow. But then there's also times where God tells us coming out of hiding and present and go into your calling and into your purpose. We need to be aware when God is telling us to hide or God is telling us to present. Because it really determines the power you're coming out of. Because if you're doing it out of your will, if you're presenting yourself, if you're trying to live this calling, if you're trying to do this thing out of the will of God, it will never work. But when God says to hide yourself, man, he's growing something on the inside. He, he's preparing you for something that is greater. That he's preparing for you something. See, do not be eager to present yourself uh, without hiding yourself. Because what comes out of hiding is produce what's going to come out when you present. This is where Elijah is. 
Elijah was hiding for about three years. He was with God, and he had the courage to step into the same kingdom that he once declared a drought and now saying, hey, the rain's coming. How can somebody have so much boldness and so much courage? It's because he hid himself in the Lord. He learned more about God. See, we, we feel like we're not activating power in our life because it's be, we're not hiding ourselves in God. We're not learning about it. We, we want the power, but we don't open the word. We, we, want to, we want our prayers to be answered, but then we really don't pray. See, it determines it, what, what we prepare is what's going to come out when God tells us to step forward in our life. See, this is where Elijah is. God gave him a huge declaration that rain was coming, and now he has to present himself in this declaration. Let's go to chapter 18, um, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 16 and 20. It says, so Obadiah went to King Ahab and told him, Ahab sent off to meet Elijah. When, when Ahab saw him, he said, he said, Ahab said this to Elijah, so there you are, the worst troublemaker in Israel. I, I kind of see it like this. It's like, well, well, well. Mr. Elijah here, and I say Elijah because my Elijah is a troublemaker, okay? Um, well, 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 you troublemaker. And this is what Elijah said to him. I'm not the troublemaker, Elijah answered. You and your fathers are. You disobeyed God, the Lord's commands, and worship this idol, Baal. Now order all the people of Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring your 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the goddess Asherah who are supported by Queen Jezebel. Verse 20. So Ahab summoned the Israelites and the prophets of Baal to meet on Mount Carmel. Now here it is. The epic story. Elijah going, hey, this is going down. You know? You know when you get hyped for like, uh, we do this thing every year on November. It's called, it's called Turkey Bowl. Turkey Bowl is when we play football. Our whole family, everybody gets hurt. Okay? But when, we, when it's Turkey Bowl season, you get hyped. You look at each other, you're like, it's going down. You know, Carlos, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, our family's competitive. You know, we're just like, we're just hitting each other ready to go. We're stretching. We're like 50 years old. We're like stretching and everything. We're gone after like 10 minutes. It, this game went from hours and now it's like 15 minutes max and we're eating Thanksgiving lunch. You know, we're ready to go, but we're ready. This is where Elijah, he's ready. This epic battle. God, you said this is going to happen and this is what's going to. So here's this epic showdown between God of Israel and the fake prophets of Baal. And there's one man in the middle, Elijah. One man in the middle, his name is Elijah. And here are three things we need to learn from this story as the Israelites fall short again and how we need to take what happened on this mountain for us to become, to, for us to be real and not fake in our life. Number one, there was a worship dilemma. There was a worship dilemma. Verse 17 says, when Ahab saw him, he said, so you are the worst troublemaker of Israel. And he said, no, I'm not. And this is what he said. You disobeyed the Lord's command and you worship the idols of Baal. 
we see here this distinct back and forth of why Israel is in this situation. Baal was presented to the kingdom as an alternate, as a counterfeit God to worship in the kingdom. And the only one that didn't worship was Elijah. And I'm here to tell you today, what you worship matters. What you worship matters. So what is this thing called idol worship? What is idol worship? An idol is something or someone becomes more important to us than God. Even good things can become idols when it's taken ultimately more important in our life. Anything, anyone can become an idol if we place value on the thing and person and not God. See, in ancient times, they would make an idol out of statues. But in our times now, it's not a statue, it's something a little bit different. Why does this matter in our time? Why does this matter in 2021? There's no statues because the thing, worship determines your power you operate under. What you worship determines the power you operate under. So what are some things in our life right now in 2021 that can be an idol worship that we need to really check before we move forward and become real and whole in our life? Number one, one thing that can be an an idol worship in our life is our identity. It's easy to place our identity in something or someone other than God. It's so easy. I see it all the time. Especially when people try to hit the success level. You know, it's like you were on fire for God. You were, you were doing, you were coming to church and then you got something in the way and then now Sundays is not important. In reality, God doesn't become important and you put something in front of God that's an idol. I see it in in relationships. Oh, this is our only time to to have a date night. We got church in the morning. See, what we put in front, listen, I'm not saying that those things are bad, but I'm just saying be careful that it becomes an idol in your life. And it becomes your identity, whatever it is, social media, uh, the the followings we have, our position at our work, our abilities, our skills, our achievements, you know, anything that can that can be good at a point. But we put more value to it than God is an idol in our life. We're not saying that you can't have a social media. I have a social media. We all have social media. I check social media. But if we put more importance on that, we are going to identify by our things and not who we are in God. Because we're putting value to the wrong things. What's another thing that can become an idol in our life? Money and consumerism. Money and consumerism. We all want to be rich. Trust me. I'm trying to buy a house. I wish I was a lot richer. See, my, my definition of a house, I want a mansion. But then I realized what I can really afford. (laughs) Money. It doesn't matter if you have money or you're broke. The pursuit of money and acquisitions and things is an idol in our culture that we live in. Many people trust their money more than they trust God. 
They trust what they have more than they trust God. And you really figure that out whenever they go into difficult situations. Some people just throw money at it. I'm going to go on the next huge vacation. I'm going through this issue. Instead of trying to figure it out and giving it to God, I'm just going to buy this car. I'm just going to buy this thing to fill a void. But the void is never going to be filled with the monetary things. It's only going to be filled by the Holy Spirit activating your life. It's becoming an idol. We have to check these things in our life. I hear, but money is not bad. But money is a tool. And like any tool, if you use it correctly, it will work. But if you use it the opposite way, it will damage you. We have to make sure that the money doesn't control us. But we're going to God for our issues. We're not throwing things at it. We're going to God because he's the one that gives us our worth in our life. What's another thing that can become an idol in our life? Comfort. We all like comfort. We all like to be comfortable. But comfort is the killer of progress. And you know that comfort is an idol in your life when you play everything safe. I just can't. I just can't. You know those people? I commend you. You need to have the savings, you know? But when life hits and your car's broken down, fix your car. You know? Like, fix your car. But they're, they're so consumed by the comfort of, a, of, of, of something that they don't come to God. See, we have to make sure that these idols don't show up in our life. We must be careful of unknown and known idols in our lives that rise up in our life. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all things will be added unto you. It's a verse that we need to really live out. Listen, I'm not saying to not try to strive for money. No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying be careful that it doesn't control you. Because God wants to do something on the inside and take what you have as a resource and not just your source. He's your source. And we need to make sure that we put the worship where it needs to be, where the, the tension and the value where it needs to be. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all things will be added unto you. This is what the Israelite people were failing at. They were so worried about worshiping these things that they thought was going to really fulfill them, but God was always there, and they were never going to the real source. So then they found themselves in idol worship. Because when you're never fulfilled, you're always going to try to find a thing that's going to try to fulfill you. That's why people fall in addictions all the time. The one thing that they started with didn't fulfill them. So they had to go to another thing and another thing because it's never going to fulfill you. What's going to fulfill you is a relationship with Jesus Christ for let him transform your life and put him first. And then the things are added unto you. Number two, what did the Israelites really deal with in this moment? Number two is unbalanced faith. In the playground, they had this thing called the seesaw. You know what I'm talking about? You realize real quick if you need to lose weight when you're on a seesaw, okay? Put your kid on one end and go to town on the other. Woo! It's a balancing. It's a balancing. See, here's the thing. 
where your weight is, is going to determine where your life is, where you put your weight. Our lives, we can try to live a double life, but the weight is going to always be placed on some point. We can try to live the church life on Sundays, but then also live the crazy life on other days. But at some point, that seesaw is going to tip all the way. And it's going to, you got to realize real quick where you are leaning on. In Matthew chapter 24, verse, chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Where is your weight in your life being distributed? Where is your weight in your life? I, I see it with my kids all the time. It's so annoying. If you would have told me a lot of the things I'm dealing with with my daughter, I wouldn't have kids. All right? My daughter, she is me in girl form and six years old. She knows who to go to when she wants to get what she gets, what she wants. So we're going through this thing now that she will go to me and she know I'm going to say no. But she still goes to me out of respect, I guess, or just stupidity. Um, <laughs> Dad, can I, can, I, can I get this? And I'm like, no, right away. I didn't even think about it. I didn't think, but then I hear, Mom, can I, can I get this? Did you talk to your father? But he always says no. Dang straight I do. But now we have this issue. We have grandma in the mix. And this lady, you know grandparents. There's no no. Even though you'd say, stop. There's no no. So we told Elijah the other, the other day, Jess took him to Target. Just to look, you know. That's what women do. They go to Target, okay? And Elijah loves this thing called Roblox. I don't know why. We have 10.5 million of these things, but he wants that one little piece in this one box. He, it doesn't matter, you know? So Elijah goes to Jess. Hey, can I get this? And we said, no. You know, you have so many. We're, we're about to move. We don't need another thing. Yesterday, Grandma had them. And guess what Elijah came with? The Roblox. Because they know where to go to. And they know if dad doesn't say it, mom doesn't say it, we going to grandma. See, this is where Elijah is with the Israelite people. We see him clearly telling them, hey, pick a side. You can't go both ways. You, you can't do this. Elijah Solomon, you can't live a fake life expecting real results. You can't do it. See, in verse 20, it says it like this. So Ahab sent the word throughout all Israel, assembling the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah, man, this guy is bold. Verse 21, it says this. Elijah went before the people. Think about this. Set the scene. 400 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Jezebel. I mean, 800-something people and one Elijah. One Elijah, and this is what he says. This pe these people, okay, I'm not going to imagine. These people hate him. 
He said the drought was coming, and it did. And now he said the water is coming, and now he wants to fight them. These are not, this is not a welcoming thing. This is not like a, a party for Elijah. He says this to the people. He comes up in the middle. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If, you, if, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. He, he, he clearly said, hey, make up your dang mind. If you want to follow God, follow God. If you don't, don't say that you're not. He was trying not to put them in between two decisions. He was trying to make them understand how stupid they were doing. Like, think about it. With Moses, you had to think the Israelite people, hey, go back to your ancestry. I mean, Moses and all these people, and now you're worshiping a statue? God saved you your your family members from the desert. I mean, God saved them from so many things, and now you want to worship. You want to put more weight on a, a statue and not God? Elijah is literally, he's saying, what is wrong with you? See, the people of Israel were spiritually lukewarm in this condition. Lukewarm. They wanted to give devotion both to Yahweh God and Baal, but God of Israel was not interested in divided devotion. Let me ask you this today. Is your devotion divided? See, these people were trying to worship two gods at the same time. They went to God when, he want, when they wanted him, and they went to Baal when they wanted him. But God does not function that way, and we shouldn't either. We shouldn't go to our addictions whenever we want to because it feels good for a moment and then come to God on Sundays. We, we can't go to a, a secret life on these days and then try to worship God on Sundays. It doesn't work. You're worshiping two gods, and it doesn't work. Work. Where is our devotion? Have you heard the saying before where God says, hey, if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth in the revelations? You know, let's let's read it here in, in revelations chapter. We'll read in a minute. But here's the thing. It talks about how God doesn't like this divided life. The seesaw faith. He, he says, if, he, if you are either going to be cold or you're going to be hot, but do not be lukewarm because it's like vomit to his mouth. Have you heard that preached before? And so many times I was telling God, I'm like, God, that's kind of harsh. You know, I understand you don't like sin, but there's also grace. But then I was reading and studying this verse before, and it wasn't that God was dismissing them. God was showing them their ways that, that they were so jacked up. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord will be slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. So I'm, I'm, I'm having this conversation with God as I study this. It's like, God, you're saying that if, if I'm not cold, you'd rather me be cold or hot but not lukewarm. But sometimes I just, I'm in the middle. Are you just going to throw me out? But then I read 2 Peter and say, no, he, he, he comes towards you. He's patient towards you. So, God, what is this verse telling us? 
God is not going to dismiss us because of our sin, but this verse was telling them that he, he's going to, he, he, it's vomit to his mouth that we have a lack of conviction. When you live life without conviction, you're living life very dangerously. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 and 18. It says, there are two words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness and the rulers of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you nor either cold nor hot. I wish you were neither one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich and inquire wealth and do not need things, but you do not realize that you are wretch, pitiful, poor and blind and naked. See, he's talking about a church called Laodicea in this moment. In the book of Revelations, there, the, he, he, the, the prophet John was talking about, uh, he was talking about different, different churches and what they were going to do in the time of the end times. And here he's talking to the city of Laodicea. And Laodicea was a reputation, had the reputation of many banks. They had excellent medical schools, a clothing industry. But Jesus says, actually, you are not rich, but you are poor. You're unhealthy. You're blind and you're clothed and naked. Their resources led them to rely on themselves and not Jesus. So when God is saying, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, is basically saying, hey, you're not living up to your potential. You're living life out of, outside of conviction. Conviction, what conviction does, it makes us check ourselves in what we're doing. I remember when I was growing up, we had too much conviction. Everything was a sin. You've been, you been there before? You've been to these Pentecostal churches. That's me. I went like this, I'm going to hell, you know? But life without conviction, you have no morals. And life without conviction, you're going to do things because it feels good and you want to do it and outside the will of God. But when conviction hit, it makes you question some of your fleshly desires. It makes you question these. And this is what the city of Laodicea was dealing. They had the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They had the knowledge of it, but they never put it into practice. And God basically said, what you do, what you have is worthless because you know the knowledge, but you don't live it out. See, we can know Jesus and what he can do for our life, but if we don't live it out, it's worthless. We, we can come to church and, we can, and we, can, we can sit here and do whatever, but if we don't live out his truth of his words, it's worthless. You're just coming to a concert. But when you take the truth of his word, anything that comes against you that, that, you, that you're living out that is fake in your life, it's gonna be, God's truth in his word is going to activate faith in your life. And, and, it, and you, you can have all the talents and the money and the charisma all you want. But if you are not living for God, you're not living the best potential. Matter of fact, you're not living free. You're living in bondage. When you decide to live an unbalanced faith, you limit the power of God inside of you. 
God wants to do so much great things in your life, but you have to fully surrender to him. You can't live this back and forth. Like enough is enough. Today, say, I am not going back. I am not going back to the things that I came in with. I'm not going to live this seesaw faith anymore. I need to go all the way. I need to take the turns this way. I need to go after God because when you do, you're going to live life to the fullest. What is worthless becomes full of worth and, and purpose and faith in your life. But you have the choice to know what's the weight in your life. What happens when you live a seesaw faith? You live life out of shame. You live life in quiet. You have unstable emotions, toxic speech and thoughts, and you're powerless. You're living outside of just you. Life without conviction is lukewarm living. Conviction is needed for a disciplined life in our life. So, the Israelite people were dealing with this back and forth living. They were dealing with this worship dilemma. And last but not least, number three, they finished it. Finished it. Let me set the, the, the stage here. Baal's prophet, the, the prophet, Elijah said, hey, you go first, set up your altar, and do what you got to do. Call to your God. So here's the thing. I love this story because the prophets of Baal starts getting the... the getting everything ready, getting the sacrifice ready, setting the fire, and, and they're like, they're calling the, the rain from heaven, from Baal, and nothing's happening. Elijah, being a little hood he is, you know, he's like, hey, you're not shouting, you're not shouting louder. Shout a little louder. So they shout louder and louder. Ah, they go crazy and nothing happening. And then Elijah says again, hey, hey, crazy man. Maybe he doesn't hear. Maybe he's sleeping. And then they start doing some crazy crap after that. They started cutting themselves. They started going, doing some crazy stuff. And Elijah's like, okay, okay, I, the guy, he went too far. And Elijah says, hey, it's my turn now. And Elijah sets and prepares the altar. Bro, this guy is crazy. And he says, hey, let's get some water. And they start dumping barrels of water on the sacrifice. And Elijah looking at it, hey, we need more water. Three times, they just pour, it's drenched. And Elijah starts praying to God, says, God, only you know, only you can. And the fire came and consumed the altar. With water, with everything. Elijah wasn't doing it out of pride. He was making sure they know that they need to turn back to God. If you need this miraculous thing, we're not going to make sure, I'm going to make sure that you don't think it's Baal. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to pour some water, I'm going to pour, I, I, I want you to know that when this happens, it's God, it's not you. Because sometimes God does the miracle and we think it's us. We think it's us that we did it. We think we, we, we're just a good person. Yeah, you're a good person, but good people are not going to make it to heaven. God sometimes has to show us, hey, it wasn't you. It was only me that can make this happen. So Elijah goes and prays. He says it in verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, Elijah stepped forward and he said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that, that you are God of Israel 
and that I am your servant. You see the distinct there, right there? Elijah wanted to people to know, hey, this ain't me. This ain't me, that God, hey, I want these people to know that you are God. I am just your servant. I'm not doing this and have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people would know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord fell on the burnt and burned the sacrifice of the woods and the stones and the soil and licked up every water from the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrated and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize the prophet of Baal. Do not let anyone go away. They seized him and Elijah had them brought down to the valley of Kishon, Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. This took a turn for the worse real quick. Fire coming down. Now Elijah's like, the people are like, oh, yeah, God. And Elijah's like, come on. Okay, that's fine. Just, just come back to God, you know. You should never have been worshiping this idol in the first place. But now that you're here, now that you've turned your, your life back to God, what I want you to do is I want you to go grab those prophets, bring them to me, and we're going to kill them all. Why? Why did they do this? See, in our life, we can have victory over the things that hold us back, but we never kill them for good. We, we come and we come to the altar, God, take it all, but do we really kill it for good? Elijah knew that the Israelites were, were the kind of people that changed their minds a lot. They, they were unstable in all their ways. So he said, we are going to take this opportunity not only to win, but for once and for all to defeat the thing that was always holding us back. Why? Because sin is not only one. Sin, because sin that is one can come back in vulnerable moments in your life. Have you been there before? Where you come to the altar, God, take it away. But then when you're alone, that thing starts creeping back. And Elijah did not want this to happen again. So he said, hey, we won. God showed his power, but enough is enough. I need to kill this thing that is holding me back. I No longer I'm going to go back. No longer is going to haunt me. And no longer am I going to turn back to it. Have you done that in your life? Have you just given it to God or have you killed it away in your life? What are some ways that you can kill some, some sin in your life? How about accountability? How about stop living in quiet and tell somebody about it? How about try to get a little bit of counseling? See, these things are tools that can help us kill the sin in our life. No longer we're going back and forth to it. No, stop living a mediocre faith life. It's time to kill the thing that is haunting us back. It's taking the power away from us. It's taking what God wants to do because we keep on turning back. Elijah said, enough. Now that you turned your heart back, now that you gave your life to God, now it's time to cut it out. What are some things that are killing you with sin that you don't need to turn back to? And this happened to me last week as I closed. It was a great closing moment because I'm going to talk about flies. I hate flies. Thank you. And I feel like it's like fly season. 
Have you had flies in your house? I hate those things. So we're about showing our house to people, right? So I do, there was flies all over the place. You know, you're packing the boxes. They, they like boxes for some reason. And then, you know, the trash and all this stuff. So we had a bunch of flies in our house. And I was just dealing with the flies. I had a little, one of those little electric swipe flotter things. And I was going around the house like, And those things are fast. Those things are quick, real fast. I mean, I did it for hours. For hours, I'm watching the game, and I'm like, and I was dealing with the flies until I said, enough is enough. We went to Lowe's, and we got fly traps. You ever had a fly trap? Those things stink, all right? But we put the fly traps up. We put them up, and you see the flies just going in there and just dying. I know PETA and the animals, but the flies need to die. And in a way, it was satisfying. It was like, you little sucker. Um, but, but it came a point that I stopped dealing with it, and I took it out of my life. See, there's some things and some times where you need to stop dealing with the sin and start doing something about it. You need to stop going back to that relationship. You need to stop going back to that addiction and start changing your life around. There's some, some people I know have been addicted for so long, but now they're changed because they made a choice in their mind to say, I'm going to kill the thing that is holding me back. Enough is enough. You need to get to the point in your life where enough is enough. Because when you do and you don't go back, you start living a life of wholeness, of realness, and start activating real things in your life and stop living dead living. On this mountain, God showed his power, not to just show it, but to draw his people to a better understanding of who he is. Sometimes God will show up and wreck our plans because he needs to show us it's not us, it's his will. We need to start putting aside, we need to start worshiping the true God. Stop, stop, stop going to the things that are not fulfilling us and start worshiping the one true God. We need to stop living this seesaw life and start go, and say, go to God when oh, we need. He's not a genie in the bottle. He wants your devotion. He wants your time. And when you do that, man, great things are going to happen in your life. You're going to be a little happier. You're going to be a little more peaceful because he gives you the fruits of the spirit is when you stop living this seesaw life. But then you got to finish it. You got to finish it. Not only do you come here and give your life to God, you got to put some things in your life that you don't have to turn back to the thing that you left here. You have to set some standards in your life. You have to set some parameters in your life because that thing's going to try to creep back up. But when you kill it once and for all, you don't have to live with it anymore. You don't have to haunt you anymore. You can live free. And said, so when the sun sets, when the sun sets you free, you are what? Free indeed. But we have to live this real life in our life. No longer would I worship the things, but I'll worship him. No longer would I waver in the seesaw faith, but I'm going to be solid. I'm going to be whole and I'm going to be unshakable. And today I will not go back. I will start living out. I won't live in fake. I will live in the real. Fake will never 
equate to real. This message might not have been for you, but this message might have been for somebody in this room. And I'm here to tell you today that God is calling you out and saying, will you be the one to stand up? In the midst when everybody else is doing what everybody else is doing, what society is doing, what culture is doing, would you stand up as Elijah on a mountain and say, enough is enough. I want to go after God. I want to live for him fully. I try to live like I did in the past, but today I choose God fully. Thank you again for joining us here at Axios. Hey, to hear more messages just like this, go ahead and subscribe to this channel. If you want more information about Axios, go to axioschurch.com. There you can get more information, give, and connect. Remember, we love you, and we're in this together.